Thank you, Rachel and Hannah. You know, there's a story of a um, couple who was preparing to um, go on vacation, a much-needed vacation, and they were going to uh, Jamaica. Uh, wouldn't that be nice right now? Warmer climate, amen. And uh, uh, on the way down, the uh, wife got some news about work that she had to stay behind and return. Uh, and said she would come by, uh, come down the next day. And, and so the husband goes down ahead of her and um, decides to uh, text his wife um, once he arrived. And in his haste, he's getting an Uber and, um, and sends a text. But instead of sending a text to his wife, uh, he sends a text to an 80-year-old woman, uh, an 80-year-old woman who had just lost her husband the day before. And when this 80-year-old woman gets this text from this husband, um, immediately she smiles. And uh, she keeps reading, and then she passes out, and she hits the floor. And so her, her family rush in to kind of figure out what's going on. They see that the uh, phone is extended from her hand. They, they pick up the phone and figure something must have been on the phone. And so they start reading this text message from this husband in Jamaica. And the first few things he says give reason for her to smile. Uh, it said, I made it here safely. I miss you already. <laughs> Somebody else say, aw. And then the next two things he says gave pause for her to maybe pass out. It says, um, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> and it's hot down here. <laughs> so my hope is that I communicate better this morning than that husband did to his wife. Come on, say amen, somebody. Uh, but let me just say officially good morning. Um, buenos dias. Good morning, as Medea would say. Come on. Um, it's good to be back at IWU and to be a part of what God is doing and to be able to share during Love Revolution uh, Week. Uh, let me say to Dr. Wright and the many uh, staff and administration and students within the uh, Intercultural Learning and Engagement Office um, that this, this is truly a gift to be able to close out an incredible week. Uh, I'm encouraged by uh, this being the 11th year, I believe, of Love Revolution and, and the scripture that just was read kind of speaks to uh, us living this out after today. Uh, one of my good friends, Dr. Lena Crusoe, uh, that once said this from the very stage I'm standing on, she said these words, revolution always leads to transformation. Otherwise, it is simply a protest. Real love always transforms. I think she's right. And if this is true, uh, we must prepare for new thinking. We must prepare for uh, new systems and a new, a new normal. Um, the theme your leaders have given this week is centered on the question, and that question is part of my assignment really to unpack this morning, and that is, who is my neighbor? Everybody say that with me. Who is my neighbor? Now, I haven't always been Wesleyan. Y'all know me. I, I grew up Baptist, so if, if you help me, I, I won't preach as long. Come on, say amen. Say it with me. Who is my neighbor? Here's a true story about something that happened to me. Um, when I was in high school and um, I was a three-sport athlete, I played uh, football as a quarterback, point guard as a uh, basketball player and a pitcher. I was, uh, for baseball, I was a pitcher and a shortstop. Uh, but one, one uh, season, right before my senior year, I'm preparing to go to college and play ball. And, um, and I'm running what is called gassels. Anybody ever run a gassel before, the football players in the house? Um, and so we're running a gassel. A gassel is what you run from one side of the field to the other side of the field. You touch a line, you come back. 
uh, your time by the coaches. So each, each group on the team has a different time. You know, the linemen have a certain time. The backs and receivers had a certain time, which was, I, I was a part of. And so if you didn't make the time, you had to do what is called up and downs. And up and downs is when you drop to the ground, hit your chest, and pop back up. And nobody likes doing up and downs. Come on, say amen. And so you want to make the time. And so it's really about endurance. It's really about helping you to, to survive in the fourth quarter. Uh, and so I'm running gas, and I, and I touch the line, I come across, and I'm first in my group. Somebody shout first. I'm first. And one of the other uh, coaches comes over. He played college ball. He grabs me by my face mask, and he says something to me I'll never forget. He said, you're faster than that. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, I was first. And so he, he sees that glare in my eye that I didn't get it. And he pulls me over even farther. Now, this is a 6'5", 260-pound manly man. And so he yanks me over and he says, go hard or go home. If you run like this now, he said, when you get to college, you'll be running against the fastest of the fast in high schools all over the country. You have to give me your best here in order to start there. Go hard or go home. It, it was a lesson I, I would never forget because here's the reality. My goal was simply to finish first. It was not to give my best. I didn't realize that I had, self, I had settled for a lesser goal, and I needed somebody in my life to point that out. So I want to talk to you, if you don't mind, from the topic or from the subject, satisfied too soon. Satisfied. Too soon. Let's pray. Father, we know the flower fades, the grass withers, but your word stands forever. So would you speak into this moment, move me in the background, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Do what only you can do in this place and give us the courage to respond in obedience. It's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Somebody shout amen. amen. So people who are satisfied too soon often self-sabotage. Uh, we, we often quit prematurely. We we always want to be in control, and we sometimes prefer comfort over obedience to God. I think I said it last year when I was here on a panel with several others that I deeply respect, including Dr. Wright, uh, a quote by Will Mancini, and he said it this way, and it, it, it's relevant for our message today. He says, we are often kept from our goals, not always because of obstacles, but a clearer path to a lesser goal. So what is the lesser goal for us today? We run the risk of wanting to talk about this stuff theoretically and maybe even biblically, but we don't want to act because it's uncomfortable that it may cost us something and we may feel like we're not in control and we may actually be out of our comfort zone. Let me, let me give you a biblical example of this inactivity, this biblical example of silence that is so unacceptable. In Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 25 to 37, there is a, a story uh, where Jesus is being confronted by an expert in the law. The expert in the law asks Jesus, what must people do to in, in, in inherit what he calls internal, eternal life? And he is actually, if you look at it closely, he's trying to test Jesus. He's, he's trying to trick Jesus, and Jesus knows it. And so Jesus asked him, what is written in the law? Which he, you know, was an expert, he should know this. And the man replied in verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Somebody shout neighbor. 
And so Jesus then tells the man that he is correct, and you would have thought the discussion would be over, but no, the scripture tells us that the man wanted to justify himself. In other words, he got a little cocky, and he asked Jesus, well, Jesus, who, who is my neighbor? And as we read this passage this morning, I want us to be open to the possibility that although this question from this expert in the law seems noble, rooted in the man's question is his pursuit of actually a lesser goal, a place where he can be satisfied too soon. Watch what it says in verse 20. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Verse 31, a priest, somebody shout priest, happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Hmm. Verse 32, so, so to a Levite, somebody shout Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Hmm. But, somebody shout but. I love butts in scriptures. Uh, come on here, somebody. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he did what? He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Somebody shout Samaritan. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was neighbor or was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the man who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Somebody shout neighbor. Um, when I was um, in youth ministry in North Carolina years ago, I um, came, home to, um, uh, came home from youth group, and there was a, a friend of mine in my driveway, and we were, you know, just kind of chopping it up, kicking it, whatever, you know. And two brothers walked by, and, you know, it was pretty cool, suave brothers, so we, we gave them some dap, you know what I'm saying? It's getting dusk, you know, it's getting d dark, and um, they walked down the road. And all of a sudden, um, I hear a scream. And it's not a little, like, is that's for those of you that fell asleep so far and um and so I'm thinking to myself like these are cool suave brothers like they don't just scream like something's wrong right and so I tell my partner I'm like man put your bright lights on let's figure out like what's going on he puts his bright lights on in the car we're kind of walking he's driving I'm walking down the road to try to figure out what's going on and Hannah like I get my eyes on it and I see in the road there's this mass in the road and it is a snake and it's not some little bitty garden snake. Oh, no. It is a big copperhead. And if you know copperheads, copperheads are nasty, poisonous snakes. And as I walk closer, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, we got to do something. And so I run back to my garage, and I, and I try to figure out what I'm going to grab. And so I grab a can of gas. <laughs> and and I, grab, I grab a two-headed hoe, a garden utensil. And so I run outside. <laughs> <laughs> I run outside with my can of gas and my two-headed hoe, and, and I figure out, like, I can't do anything with this. And so I run back into the, the house, and I get a lighter or whatever, and I'm, because, you know, they told me, Rachel, they told me when I was in Boy Scouts that they respond to heat. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you know, snakes respond to heat. And so I get out there trying to figure out what I'm going to do, and I start dousing the snake with gas, and, you know, trying to figure it out. And then I get my lighter, and I light it, and it's like, 
and the snake jumps out of the road onto the grass and starts following me on the grass. And so I jump back out into the road, and it's just me and my, this snake and my two-headed hoe. And, uh, and there's this, by this time, there are people who have started to gather. I guess the guys had, like, texted people and called people. So there's a crowd out there by this time. And so there's this little boy who says, get him, Mr. Preacher, get him. <laughs> and so, y'all, I take my two-headed hoe, and I, and I missed. Oh, and that snake said, shh. And that little boy said, And I think that little boy knew what I knew, like, either the snake is going to get me or I'm going to get the snake, but somebody's about to get God. So I'm going to say amen. <laughs> and so it's like Eminem on 8 Mile, y'all. I got one shot. And so I'm like, <laughs> and I get him right across the neck. Yeah. And the same thing that happened there happened here. There was a delayed response that I didn't die. <laughs> and so I dispose of the snake and I get back to my house. And here's the point of the story. I get back to my house, and I didn't tell you part of the story. Like, when I went back to the house the second time, I, I actually stopped, and I went into my front room, and I asked myself the question, like, um, is there somebody out there more qualified than me to deal with this snake? You know, I'm looking out the window, like, I'm not Crocodile Dundee, like somebody else. You know what I mean? I could die. And I'll never forget what God said to me. He said, you know, you were this close to running from what I built you to run towards. You were this close to running from what I built you to run towards. As believers, we are built to run towards reconciliation. We are built to run towards those who are in need. We are built to run towards those who feel isolated, abused, and ostracized. We are built to run towards those who are alienated. And as we get back to this text, if anyone should have stopped and helped the wounded man, it should have been the priest. I mean, after all, he was a holy man, uh, like a pastor, so to speak, a spiritual leader in the nation of Israel. Uh, but he was the victim of being satisfied too soon. If not the priest, surely the Levites should have stopped. Levites were like elders, right, in, of Israel. They, they, they were from the very tribe of priests who were appointed, but, but he also became satisfied too soon with his position. Uh, but of course, we, it, it was neither the priest nor the Levite uh, who stopped and helped, but they, uh, they were more concerned with their own reputation and their own self-preservation. Rather, it was the least likely one, the Samaritan, who stopped. Now, to put this context, uh, this passage in context, you got to understand briefly, uh, Samaritans were people who were widely disrespected uh, and even hated by Jews at this time. And as we scan the pages of history and even today's news reports, we often are horrified by the way human beings treat other human, being, human beings. We see kids killing kids to prove their manhood or womanhood, we, uh, sometimes just for a pair of sneakers. We see crimes, hate crimes, and, and violence because the victim doesn't look like, talk like, or have the same politics as the attacker. We see men assaulting women. We, we see uh, achievement gaps in school. We see parents abusing children. We see the young neglecting the elderly. We see all of these things happening. And so the question becomes not just who is my neighbor, but there's a deeper question that we're going to wrestle with in just a moment. Interestingly, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached on this very passage on the night before he was assassinated in his message entitled, I've Seen the Mountaintop. 
In so doing, he suggests that perhaps the priest did not stop because he did not want to defile himself by touching what appeared to be a dead body. And likewise, perhaps the Levite did not stop because he suspected that there was a ruse, that, that the man was merely faking his injuries, and, and perhaps some accomplices were lying in wait to take advantage of unsuspecting travelers. After all, the road from Jerusalem to, to Jericho was not called the bloody pass for nothing. They had their own excuses of why they should not engage. And whatever the case, King points out that neither the priest nor the Levite stopped to help the man because they asked themselves a fundamentally different question that we should be asking. They asked themselves the question, if I stop to help, what will happen to me? And if we're honest, we're constantly asking a simple question or a similar question. We feel like uh, this whole love revolution thing theoretically is enough. Having a few conversations is enough. But let me caution you not to be satisfied too soon. Don't be satisfied if, if cultural incapacity leads to blindness. Don't, don't be satisfied when you're, when you're in a position to help and you walk by for self-preservation. In other words, the Samaritan asks a fundamentally different question. He asks, if I don't stop to help, what will happen to them? If I don't stop to help, if I, if I turn away, can, can I live with myself knowing I could have done something, but I did, I did nothing? Will I, will I risk my own safety to serve and love someone else well, maybe even, maybe even my enemy? According to Jesus, then, a neighbor is not just uh, defined as a person who lives next door, but also someone who is otherwise different than us. Those who may be uh, in our culture we've learned to ignore. Maybe those from whom our, our people group or our family has historically alienated. Uh, and, and we begin to understand that this is, this, is a different, this is a different question that we should be asking. And Jesus here, not just, he doesn't just commend the Samaritan, but he condemns the priest and the Levite for walking away, for the silence and their inactivity. Let me suggest to you, hate groups and what we may define as uh, people who are culturally destructive, although they are important and although there's, um, it's despicable some of the things that are done, that's not really what keeps uh, racism and bigotry going. It, it's, it's not the uh, abhorrent acts of a few. It is actually the silence and inactivity of the majority. I'm going to say that again. It is not the abhorrent acts of a few that keeps racism alive. It is the silence and the inactivity of the many. It is walking by when you could help. It is speaking up instead of being silent. So here, uh, now this is really important. Don't miss this because this is, this is like the crux of the message. Does Jesus doesn't just answer the question, who is my neighbor? He actually lets us know that simply knowing the answer to that question is not enough because it is satisfying a lesser goal. It is being satisfied too soon. And so what Jesus does in this story is he doesn't just simply answer who the neighbor is. He says to the expert of the law, go be a neighbor. It's not enough to know who your neighbor is. Goal is to be a neighbor. And so the question becomes, what does being a neighbor look like? 
Like, how does that manifest in the life of a follower of Jesus? Like, what, did that, what does that look like practically in our context? And so I want to take this lens in which we've looked into this passage now to give us some practical things to wrestle with on how to be a neighbor. Somebody shout, be a neighbor. Be a neighbor. Yeah, somebody shout again, be a neighbor. Be a neighbor. Yeah, high five the person next to you. This is real Baptocostal. Y'all pray for me. And tell them, be a neighbor. Yeah, yeah, it's not enough. It's not enough. I don't know if you got a right neighbor. Go to the other side and high-five them and tell them, be a neighbor. It's not enough. It's not enough to just know who your neighbor is. You have to know how to be a neighbor. And so the story, the story here is not just about who the neighbor is. He's telling the expert in the law and showing him how to be a neighbor. This quote is an African proverb. It says, from afar, I thought it was a monster. He got closer, and I thought he was an animal. Closer, and I thought he was a human being. When we were face to face, I realized he was my brother. And so David Anderson talks about these three forces against civic uh, unity. Uh, First is to be polarized. Somebody shout polarized. We are sometimes polarized, and that is caused by fear. To be polarized is to stand on opposing ends of something. Polarization gives people a false sense of safety when when they run to their corners to be with people who look like them, think like them, and live like them. This is a place where it uh, it feels like nobody judges you, right? It's, It's safe in those spaces. But then there's this politicize. Somebody shout politicize. We are then politicized, which is fueled by anger. Politicized is when you uh, have a view or stance of something, and then you get challenged privately or publicly, and it makes you angry or it causes you to be defensive. Now, because I'm angry or defensive, I want to come out and I want to engage. But secretly, what I really want to do is lash out. You ever saw that on Facebook? Come on, say amen, somebody. Uh, I know, uh, I, I now, I now when I'm politicized, uh, I want to engage uh, the issue only if it affirms my polarized view and keeps others who agree with me from being exposed. So there's, there's a sense in which we uh, are polarized and then we are politicized. And then that leads sometimes, if we're not careful, to being radicalized. To be radicalized, this can be real or perceived. People then feel emboldened to act. At this point, it's, if, if it's right to me, I don't care what's right to you. Something switches in our brain, and now we don't care anymore, and we stop listening. We can move from being polarized to politicized to being radicalized. But these are three moves that I, I want to suggest of bridge builders in our culture. We have to learn to use difference as a doorway to dialogue. Use difference as a doorway to dialogue. People are not interested in being our projects. Come on, say amen, somebody. And we have to be willing to begin to understand a new reality, right? Part of what I loved about the worship team, what they just did, is they were teaching us, they were modeling for us this sense of of using difference as a doorway to something deeper, where we start to identify with other people, where, where your people become my people. Second thing you must do as a bridge builder is you must see distance as a barrier to peace. Distance often demonizes. We see that in this African proverb, but, but uh, comprehension comes when there's more and more healthy conversation. That's what this week is all about. We have to reserve the right to judge until we're close enough to understand it. Uh, God, don't let me sit on what I'm learning and be a bad steward like this priest and this Levite was uh, with the relationships you've given me, with the opportunities that you give me. Help me to move beyond that into action. And that's number three, do something for the cause of justice. That's what we call activation, where we move towards reconciliation. Uh, I'll never get this story. This is my final story, and then I'm just going to give you a few things uh, to to close. Uh, My time is almost done. Uh, There's a story of, of two birds. Somebody shout, two birds. 
uh, there was one bird that lived in the house of a new, newlywed couple. And uh, these were birds that repeat what they hear. And that bird said, uh, let us kiss. Let us kiss. Let us kiss. And there was another bird that was in the house of a pastor. And, and that bird said over and over again, let us pray. Let us pray. Let us pray. And people often wonder, like, what would happen? <laughs> like, what would happen if you put those two birds in the same cage? Let us kiss. Let us kiss. Let us kiss. Let us pray. Let us pray. Let us pray. And two teenagers made it happen. <laughs> they got them in the same cage. And as you would expect, that first bird said, let us kiss. Let us kiss. Let us kiss. And that second bird said, Finally, my prayers have been answered. <laughs> uh, although this week has been wonderful, keep on praying, keep on asking, keep on knocking at the door. Although uh, you, it's tempting to be satisfied too soon, don't be satisfied with a few positions filled by people of color when the culture and the curriculum and systems haven't changed. Don't, don't be satisfied with a few programs a year that you can put on a calendar and say we've done something. Don't, don't be satisfied with a little diversity here and there in your student body when you know outside of your school there is the browning of America. Don't, don't be satisfied talking about diversity. Make it an issue of discipleship that transforms your relationships and the activities of your life so that social holiness is something you live every single day. Don't be satisfied. Don't be satisfied too soon. We will know we're not satisfied too soon when our desire is not just to ask people to become like us, but that we're willing to be transformed by the relationship with them so much so that we both become something new in the process. We will know we are not satisfied too soon when our leaders have multi-ethnic and multicultural lives Monday through Saturday. We will know we're not satisfied too soon when we become less concerned about who we will lose uh, in order to do this work, but we understand that God will send us new people because we are being obedient. We know we're not satisfied too soon when we're not afraid to talk about these difficult topics and issues in our society, but we lament them and model a biblical way to address this in love. Don't be satisfied too soon. I'm out of time. And after this, I, I want to say to you, I, I encourage you, we're going to go to Macon and we're going to uh, gather and just have some conversation. There's more I want to give you, but uh, we can do that kind of face-to-face in Macon if you're available. I know some of you have class, but I encourage you to come down uh, afterwards and we can, we can chop it up in Macon. But let me, let me close with this prayer and then we'll be dismissed. This is a prayer, a blessing by Brian McLaurin. He says this, may God bless us with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that we may live from deep within our hearts. May God bless us with anger at injustice, oppression, and ex exploitation of God's creations so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless us with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that we may reach out our hands to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless us with just enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in the world so that we can do what others claim cannot be done, to bring justice and kindness to all our children and all our neighbors. Somebody shout neighbors, neighbors. who are poor. Amen. Please stand.
Thank you for your attention. Thank you for the time this morning. God bless you, and may you go in peace. Amen.